Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card, issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval terms apply. So why do you want to learn a new language? I'll tell you why. Because donde esta el baño can be a very important question at times. You know, Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. Fast track your language acquisition with immersive lessons designed to teach you to pick up languages in a natural way. I love the fact that I can go from my laptop to my phone to pretty much anywhere and learn the language of my choice. Not to mention I'm bringing my communication skills to new heights. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a limited time, Star Talk Radio listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash startalk. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash startalk today. Welcome to StarTalk, your place in the universe where science and pop culture collide. StarTalk begins right now. This is StarTalk Sports Edition. And for this episode, it's going to be all about the Olympics and the science that undergirds all sports that unfold in that great two weeks of human competition. And I, I got a friend and colleague and co-author to help me out here because he thinks deeply about everything. And that's, of course, Star Talk's friend, Charles Liu. Charles, how you doing, man? Hi, Neil. Good to Great get, to see you. Good, Real good, pleasure. Good to get you back. Let me get your pedigree straight here. So <laughs> weren't you dean for a while at the college? No, Staten no. I, I, I directed honors college programs, so I was a faculty director. Okay. Uh, I knew you were man in charge of some stuff. <laughs> <laughs> the less in charge I am, the better. Uh, okay. Frankly. Well, it's great to have you. Uh, you bring Thank a, you so a, much. A, a level of insight and, and knowledge and expertise that transcends anything any of us have ever brought to the table. And that's why you've earned, I think, without question, the title Geekspertise, right? <laughs> I think, Gary, were you the one who first told us that? Um, Geek- no, but I, I do like the dubbing him the Geek-in-Chief. The Geek in Chief. Yes. Of, the Geek in Chief. With Geek's Pertice. Mm-hmm. And we got Gary. Gary. Hey, Neil. My co-host. All right. Always good to have you. And Chuck Nice. Chuck. Hey. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about throwing stuff. All right. It's a big part of the Olympics, at least certainly in track and field. Then we're going to talk about defying gravity. Oh, my gosh. So much of what's in the Olympics is about doing what gravity doesn't want you to do. And Where is Adina Menzel? <laughs> <laughs> and we're going to round it out with a discussion of wrestling, freestyle wrestling versus Greco-Roman. Ooh. We'll learn all about that when we get there. But let's talk about throwing stuff, all right? So 
Uh, where the Olympics? They go back. Uh, you know, Gary, correct me if I'm wrong. Seventeen? No, no, 17. way back. <laughs> I'm thinking of we're, we're, American uh, independence. Yeah, we are seven hundred and seventy-six BC. When, Se- not seventeen seventy-six BC. No, no, seven. No. 76 BC yeah. in Greece, I presume. Of course. And this is this is a a a tr- quite the tradition that we've turned into in modern times. Yeah. It is it is the obvious test. We've all growing up. Who's fastest? Who can throw something the furthest? Who can run up that mountain and come back down quickest? Who can jump over this stream the furthest? So it's it's just basically the answering of all these questions on a on a four yearly basis. I, well, I think it's a beautiful thing, and it's one of the greatest collaborations of nations outside of the waging of war. So, Well, we have to remember that the Olympic Games were actually interrupted for more than 1,500 years. It wasn't until 1896 when the modern Olympics began again, after it ended in the Roman Empire, because indeed the Romans didn't want the Olympics to keep going. Why, why not? I'm not really sure why. I'm not really sure why. Something about nationalism and and worship of the wrong god. We lost. (laughs) Maybe that's what it was. (laughs) Chuck. How could this happen? We're the Roman Empire. We lost. That's it. No more Olympics. (laughs) So much for sportsmanship. All right, so let's get into the science of throwing stuff. Let's start off with the discus. This This is the most classic, I think, of all of the statues of an Olympic competitor, the discus thrower. And, you know, there's the twist of the torso, the arm uh, angled backwards, holding this flying saucer-shaped object. And the... So, Charles, what can you tell me about the aerodynamics of a discus? Why aren't they just sort of throwing a rock? Uh, What is really cool is that a disc is way, way more aerodynamic than a sphere. Uh, in fact, it's way more aerodynamic than an airplane. There was a period of time, you remember the aerobee? I don't even know. Yes, if, I do. That's uh, the farthest so object ever thrown by any That's human right. being, the aerobee. Aerobees had to be banned from paper airplane contests because people who were making aerobees out of paper were winning them by such large margins it was considered an unfair advantage. Can you, so, I'm so, sorry, uh, can you tell me what an aerobee, what's an aerobee? Yes, well, please. you don't have, get. this is for geeks, this, you're not in yeah. this conversation, Chuck. <laughs> we're, 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 we're out of here. We're, we're spectators. <laughs> we are spectators at the aerobee games. <laughs> imagine, imagine a frisbee. Imagine a frisbee, but with a big hole in it. So it's like, oh, a, it's like a very thin donut, and then around the edge, the outer edge, is a little lip, yes. like, a, like a, a, a ridge that goes around the outside. So it's sloped downward to the end, and then a little tiny ridge around the outside. That turns out to be so aerodynamic that a single flip of the wrist made it farther than any frisbee, farther than any airplane of its size. It's an amazingly aerodynamic object. So if you want to see something fly in the air for a long distance, what you want to do is to throw a disc. And that's the most dramatic thing that you can do back in those days, right? You want to see things go a long way. Throwing a rock is fun. You know, that's what a shot put is. You're basically you know, pushing this big cannonball. But that don't, doesn't go that far, right? The discus, though, can sail. So it did Frisbee's one better, basically, by opening up the middle and allowing sort of an aerodynamic... Uh, lift to sustain its trajectory. Okay, so now I read this, and I haven't tested it, but I believe it, And but maybe you can highlight it for me, that you can throw a discus farther going into the wind than if the wind is behind you. That is correct. 
uh, it has to do with aerodynamics of things. I don't know, Gary, you probably know this a little better than I do, but same, in the same way that a soccer ball, when it goes up into the air, depending on what direction the wind is coming, you can actually make it go farther get a bit of lift. if you do it just and right. And the other thing yeah. is, Neil, when, when you look at some of the discus, it's got a metal rim. So what's happened here is they're loading the outer rim of the discus, which, Charles, you'll be able to explain the physics behind that, but that makes it go further. Okay, so this will help it sustain its rotational mm -hmm. uh, momentum better. If you, if, you, if you put the mass of a spinning object at the perimeter, then that's a very stable rotating object, Charles, right? That's right. You have a higher moment of inertia, it's called. Mm -hmm. Because of the conservation of angular momentum, it is more likely to stay spinning for a longer period of time with less force or torque. Exerted. And then imagine the technique to get across the discus circle in that rotating technique that the throwers use, and then you incorporate the, the physics of the discus itself. It's, it's really... Right, so it seems to me, so the, your body does a spin, mm -hmm. your arm uh, also pivots at the shoulder, and your fingers flick at the wrist to get the thing spinning. Yeah, you it. So, so you get the combination of this musculoskeletal launching pad, right? Is that a fair way to think about it, Charles? Yeah, it's all the different hinges from which you can gain extra torque. In the same way that when you're kicking a soccer ball, right, you've got your toe, your ankle, your knee, your hip, and even your torso, giving it all the different uh, power, each one giving it a little extra. And if you can momentum, combine those, you could be quite deadly out there with your power. Devastating. You start by crouching slightly, so you preload your, your own body to explode oh, yes, around. Yes, so it's, it, yes. this is stacked with science. It's an amazing event to watch once you But I wondered that, you know, I never thought about that. that um, th that's right, when they begin their spin, they're actually crouched. Mm. Right, how about the hammer throw? Oh, that's a round ball that gets tossed. Now, in the olden days, I bet the Greeks did not put it on a metal wire because they didn't know how to build wire, right? Or even metal balls for that matter. They probably literally threw a hammer, which is like a big long thing that they would use to whack things, right? But they actually spin around. This would be a stick onto which attached was some heavy object at the end. And you tried to throw it and see how far you could get it. You're allowed to spin. But really, the spinning process, you have to keep your um, center of weight moving in a straight line. So it's a very complicated dance. It's a ballet, really, only instead of a, a beautiful pirouette with someone wearing a tutu, right? It's a brutal spin with a gigantic individual holding a 16-pound ball on a wire and spinning beautifully and accurately. And, and, and the release point has to be exactly sort exactly. of tangent to the movement so that right. all the spinning force can go to the linear uh, trajectory of the ball itself. Of all the field sports in the Olympics, the hammer throw is the one I would least like to be a judge for mm -hmm. in the pit. Because you have to stand in, 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 in the path of the hammer. Well, I'll tell you this much, though. I... Um, I, I don't want to watch it anymore because I just want to see them do it in tutus now. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, the tutu they, hammer they throw. The tutu yeah. hammer throw, man. <laughs> tutu. Well, seeing as we're reinventing, Charles, what happens if I extend the length of the wire on this 16-pound cannonball and then I start oh. to rotate? 
Well, that's great. You see, the longer you have the wire, the larger the moment of inertia mm -hmm. is. Moment of inertia being mr squared, the mass times the distance times the distance again. And so to translate that rotational motion into linear motion, the more, uh, uh, the more, the higher the moment of inertia, the more angular momentum you get if you're spinning it at the same angular velocity. Uh, just, just, just fancy just means that if you have a certain number of rotations per second, the longer you have of the string, the farther the hammer will go when you let it go. Because the hammer's actually moving faster. That's all, right? It's, Right, it's, it's the same reason why you are going faster on the outer horse in a merry-go-round than you are on an inner horse, even though everyone's on the same platter. That's right. Right, okay. That's why everyone, yeah, if you ever you're burning a kid uh, to a, a merry-go-round, take an outside as opposed to an inside loop. The outside person will be moving much faster and having a, a grander Yeah, like it's twice as fast inside. as the ones halfway yeah. in. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, so now, now tell me about the javelin. My big disappointment was to learn that people were getting so good at the javelin that people they in the stands were dying. <laughs> almost, almost, almost. Yeah. That they had to put like an aerodynamic drag on the back of the javelin. That ain't right. That no, something's wrong. There. Well, it, it's a little bit different from that, simply because a javelin has to come down point first into the ground. Otherwise, you run into problems. If it skims along the surface and it hits the ground, it goes bounce, 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 bounce. Right? Yeah, where did, it, where did it land? Right, right. Where did, right. It, land? Where did it land? And, and there's controversies involved with that. And that, if you make sure that the javelin lands point first in the ground, you can set yourself far enough back in the stands that you don't worry about being injured. So they had to move the uh, center of mass of the spear or the javelin closer toward the tip. And what happened was at first when they did that, uh, clever speared, or excuse me, clever javelin designers started messing with the back end to make it act like, you know, feathers, like fletching in an arrow or something to try to let it fly longer and farther and things like that. And so that got banned after a short period of time. Uh, but the key is that they have now... A days the javelin is more like you throw it up in the air and it's got to come down and is naturally going to jab into the ground at some location. So what, uh, is, okay. the, what but, is the optimum angle that you have to release a javelin to get it to go the farthest? Oh, indoors, <laughs> right? Without any air, it's 45 degrees. Uh, yeah. Okay, so this is the, uh, the, on, the, on the moon, the, the yeah. airless arena. This is where we're yeah. going to do this. Okay. Right. The answer is always 45 degrees. But let's be honest, However, Charles, you're not going to be throwing javelins indoors very much. No. You know what? I've wondered. In indoor track and field championships, are there actually javelins? No. Throws? No, there's not. No, the no. only thing you'll ever oh, have is man. shot put indoors. None of the other throwing <laughs> events are allowed. And, Too and bad. Even maybe. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Oh, well, that, that explains it. Yes. Uh, the wind determines a lot. Uh, again, the, as we were talking about with the discus, with anything in the air, which direction, whether it's an updraft or a downdraft, whether it's a headwind or a tailwind, that makes all the difference in any projectile. I don't have the actual angles depending on that, but I know that compensations must be made. Right. And this 45-degree angle, you learn that in Physics 101, where you want it to go forward and up with the same initial velocity, and that'll carry it farthest to its destination, and that angle's 45 degrees every time. That's right. They used to teach us so, when, when we were throwing javelins to pull through the javelin. You start with a certain angle of approach where it's basically horizontal to the ground, then it tilts up, you keep it really close to your ear, 
and then you pull through almost the handle, the binding through the center point, and it flies, and then it sails, and then it comes down. But since they were throwing, they got one German thrower, whose name I cannot quite remember, through over 100 meters, which will have scared the living <laughs> daylights out of anybody else at the far end of the stadium. And then, uh, Especially the runners who are thinking, I, I almost got this. I'm yeah. on the back stretch. And then he gets impaled. Exactly. <laughs> Coming so, around. And this, you know, you, you've got all these other events happening while javelins are being thrown. So they just had to go, uh-oh, nope. Got to make a change. All right. So, and, and lastly, the shot put. That's mm. the bluntest of all instruments mm. here. And uh, this, th this has like been in every single Olympic since 1896. And I understand it dates back to like the Middle Ages. Is that right? When soldiers hurled cannonballs to compete? Is this, do I have this right here? Yeah, I, I think what we have, Neil, is in between battles, a bunch of drunken soldiers picked up cannonballs <laughs> and said, which one of us drunken idiots can throw this the furthest? That sounds a lot like reality to me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Makes sense to me. That's so a, it's a 16 pound. Or maybe maybe pounds. they just ran out of gunpowder. And I will <laughs> hey, throw this at this. you. <laughs> <laughs> Carry this cannonball over and drop it on the head and then come back for another one. While you're at it, everybody throw your musket pellets. <laughs> <laughs> you say that, but do you know what? Just in the last couple of weeks from the time we're recording this, in the last week, I think, Ryan Krauser, USA, broke the world record. 76 feet with a 16-pound mm, cannonball. Ouch, man, that's that's brutally strong and just... Unbelievable. And he, you know there's that technique where you glide across the circle? Yes, yeah. I've seen that. And we've uh -huh. seen all of that and there's the crouch. This is now using the discus rotation to achieve mm. these distances. Oh, so they're coiling energy yeah. like like the discus yeah. people mm -hmm. do. Okay, so it's tactical, and, and I guess it's allowed, mm. right? They're not going to say not you can't do that. Not just big guys with a big old chalk mark under the chin. There's a lot, <laughs> a lot more going on. <laughs> but what about the power of the guttural yell? Mm. Necessary. Oh. I mean, the, the vocalization of shot putters, I think, is the most amazing that you hear of any of those athletes. It's like this, this elephant, alligator, Godzilla kind of auditory utterance <laughs> that simply cannot be matched by any other human being. <laughs> Wait, so, so, so Charles, uh, last question before we, we got to take a quick break here. The, it seems to me the shot put would be the least susceptible to aerodynamics. And so that one you'd want to sort of throw at a 45-degree angle, I would say, is, uh, probably. At almost all times. Yeah, I don't see yeah, any the, reason why. I don't see uh, neither do I. a hurricane or something, you know, uh, that it's going to affect this round, spherical, solid metal ball. Right, right. All right, let's take a short break, and we're going to say goodbye to throwing and hello to jumping and all other things we do to defy the law of gravity. Woo. So let's see what that looks like on the other side. This is Star Talk Sports Edition, the Olympics. Working moms have way too many to do's. Switch to H&R Block and have an expert do your taxes for you. 
Block guarantees 100% accuracy and your max refund or your money back. And with their no surprise guarantee, you'll always know the price of your tax prep before you begin. You can even meet with a tax pro in a block office or online from home. So take a breath, moms. This tax season, it's better with Block. Make an appointment at hrblock.com. All tax situations are different. Not everyone gets a refund. Limitations apply. Description of benefits and details at hrblock.com slash guarantees. You know what shouldn't feel like rocket science? Planning a vacation your whole crew will love. With Carnival Cruise Line, it's all up to you. You can kick back or dive right into the fun. Paddleboard in the crystal clear waters of one of Carnival's exclusive destinations, Half Moon Key in the Bahamas. Take an ATV ride through the jungle or just relax on white sandy Caribbean beaches. The fun continues on ship. From a ride on the Bolt roller coaster to a moment of pure bliss at the Cloud Nine Spa. Kick off the evening with a craft cocktail at any of Carnival's dazzling bars and lounges and take your pick of restaurants from surf and turf to family-style Italian. Then settle in for an evening of live entertainment. Whatever your vibe is, you'll come home with plenty of stories to tell. So pack those bags, be sure to leave room for a few unforgettable memories because no one does fun like Carnival Book your dream vacation at Carnival.com. Ships Registry, the Bahamas and Panama. Whether you're a family vacation traveler, business tripper or long weekend adventurer, Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. And that's good because there are a lot of me's. Choice Hotels has over 7,400 locations and 22 brands, including Comfort Hotels, Radisson Hotels, and Cambria Hotels. Get the best value for your money when you book with Choice Hotels. Cambria Hotels feature locally inspired hotel bars with specialty cocktails and downtown locations in the center of it all. Hey, that's me. Radisson Hotels have flexible workspaces to get the most of your business travel and on-site restaurants. That's me, too. And at Comfort Hotels, you'll enjoy free hot breakfast with fresh waffles, great pools for the entire family, and spacious rooms. Hey, that's me, too. I guess I'm just going to have to stay at all of them. Choice Hotels has a stay for any of you. Book direct at choicehotels.com, where travel comes true. We're back, Star Talk Sports Edition. We're talking about the Olympics. And in this segment, we're talking about the jumping sports in track and field. What do we have? We've got the long jump, the triple jump, and the high jump. There you go. And people just trying to defy gravity. And so, Charles, yeah. let's talk a little bit about the long jump. Mm-hmm. What, what do you know about why it took so long for that record to be broken. You mean Bob Beeman's Bob record? Bob Beeman back in 1968. Yeah, the Mexico City. But of course, you know, records are meant to be broken. Usually, though, as far as distance-type jumping things or height things, only a few inches at a time. But the strange thing about the 1968 Bob Beeman record was that he broke the previous record by such a large amount. It was like more than a foot feet. or something. Yeah. Yeah. It was like it was it went from 
27 feet something to 29 feet something. And it was a whole decade before everyone, anyone even jumped 28 feet, right? So right. people are wondering what the heck happened that time. There are a lot of different things, but one of the possibilities is that, first of all, there was a small tailwind. It was allowable. It was a wind. It was not so fast that it was wind-aided and therefore didn't count in the world records, but there was a little bit of a wind. Give him, it gives him a little bit, was, okay, so, but it's not going right, to give him a foot. Mexico City right. is a but mile then high. The key, that is the key that most people think was the case, Gary. You're absolutely right. No, no, because no. Because Mexico I, no. City's altitude allowed him to go that extra distance if he was sufficiently uh, cardiovascularly trained to produce the same amount of muscle power. All right, so here's, here's my issue with that. I got an issue. Okay. Okay? Here's Good my on. issue. And okay. I got to bring Chuck in this. Chuck, this this is a white man trying to take away the black man's achievement by no, crediting something I else with it. No, I am not. Okay? Don't you dare okay. say that. <laughs> Excuse me? Normally, Chuck is, like, covering me there, and now I'm the one who's saying it. Okay. Uh, okay. Listen, I, I mean, go ahead. It's not because he was better than everybody else. It's because the wind helped him, and the thing, and the aliens built the pyramids, and the, you know. Okay, oh, so dude. here you go. Here you go. Dude, dude, if dude. no, here's a here's a simple if statement. Mm -hmm. and, and Charles Liu, you tell me if my if statement is flawed. If okay. the wind and the thin air helped Bob Beeman break the record by more than a foot, then everybody would have jumped more than a foot. There you go. And they did not. Don't tell me the thin air did it. They would have done significantly better if not and just a foot. I, and and not, not no one else we, jumped. We would have to check the, the the final placings in that long jump to see if other people did right. get a boost or this is absolutely down to Bob Beeman just jumping out of the sand pit here. Right. Even if they did right. get a and boost, did they get a foot boost? And I'm no. I'm guessing not no, no, no. here. I mean, and so let us instead yeah. credit the thin air and instead of that say, this man kicked some ass at that Absolutely. Olympics. Absolutely. Let me hear the two of you say that. Yeah, he totally did it. I, I don't, but okay. we're looking at, yes. are there other mitigating factors? Because don't forget, the current world record is hold, held by Mike Powell, another USA long jumper. And that was done a zillion years ago, too. 1991. Not quite a zillion, but I know where you're headed with that. Um, and it's only okay. two inches further than Bob Beeman. I mean, it, he's just... So a, here, a, and, and by the way, he's somebody who's chasing that. Mm -hmm. So he's Good training point. He's training towards that. To beat that, that record. He's yeah, training right. towards... Whereas Beeman wasn't, he actually just did it. And I say, if you're looking for a mitigating factor, somebody yell, cops! <laughs> I mean, we, we, can, we can look at the mitigating factors, Charles, and in the end, we just have to look at an athlete and go, that is what the Olympics are about. Someone turns up and says, you want to see what the best is all about? This is what I got. And... It, it was one amazing jump that far exceeded anybody else on that day. It was really quite I don't quite think amazing. people yeah, realize... And so I'm just saying, therefore, you can't credit the other things. Give Credit the man and not oh, everything no, else. I'll credit That's the athlete all the time, Neil. It's, it's in my DNA to do that. I'm just looking at, was the altitude, was a tailwind? If the tailwind's too high, the jump's invalid. Simple as that. So they could... That was not an aspect. The altitude... Okay. Mm, would it have made any difference? Mm. Not a foot. Right. And not so I got one. So, so Charles, what do you think? Because uh, I'm not. I don't like all this stuff about rules. 
Why don't they just have you jump as far as you can from wherever is your starting point? Why does your foot have to exactly, because if you, if you miss it by a centimeter, that's a centimeter less of a distance you end up jumping because they don't start it from the tip of your toe. They start it from the tip of the line, wherever your foot lands re- related well, to it. I think, I think that's the difference between an activity as a human physical feat and an activity as a competitive sport. Right. Oh, the okay. concept of the rule. Damn, Charles, why you, is all you, why you always argue me out of my arguments? I, Damn, I'm sorry. Charles. No, no, I no, thought I had a good point. Yeah, that's okay. a really good point. But your point is exactly right. Like, why do we have rules, right? Why do people then cheat and try to break the rules? Mm-hmm. This happens, of course, unfortunately, even in the Olympics, uh, Tour de France, yeah. NFL football, baseball, choose whatever you want, right? People agree to rules because they feel like the game would be more fun if everyone followed them. But when victory becomes more significant than sport, then you wind up with everyone trying to do things that are not following the rules and getting away with it, Mm. right? Mm -hmm. But I think you're absolutely right on this important point, Neil. We could have a world record measurement for how far a human being jumps, right? And that would be a different world record than the high jump or the long jump or the triple jump world record in the Olympics or in world competition. They're okay. just two different things. Got it, got it, got it. Well, let's use that as an excuse to move on to the triple jump. Mm-hmm. So uh, it seems to me one jump should have been just fine. Now we got to put three jumps in it. And it's got this weird body motion. And it's like, what the, what are you doing? And why are you doing it? Who came up with this? That's what I'm thinking every time I see the triple jump. Another strange rule thing. I think Chuck, you 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 know this rule really well, right? Like your first yeah, well, you, the, hop, the hop is the yeah. first step. Yeah, it used to be called the hop, step, and jump. Yeah. I, if I remember correctly, in the old days. So the right. hop is you land on this. You take off on one foot and land on the same foot, yeah. which gives you that janky body movement. It's a j- total janky. That's the word, yeah. right? And right. then the step is you take off on the same foot that you lo- that you landed. And you land on your opposite foot. Right. And then the jump is you take off on that foot and you land on both feet. On two feet. On two okay. feet. So that's, that's your jump. Wow. And the that's whole, just a crazy... Who, who thought that who up? Who did I think mean, of that? Because it is insane. <laughs> that's insane. I don't, but it's cool. But it's cool. Because it's got this extra complication to it. And, and the physics of the triple jump is very different from the long jump in one crucial respect. Because you're bouncing off the ground... Right? You have to do something completely unnatural to humans, and that is not absorb impact. Like land on your toes. Oh, my knees hurt already. I know, right? right? My right? knees are hurting just right? thinking about it. That's right. right. If you land on, like, you're, you're, we are taught that when we jump somewhere, we want to land on our toes and then slowly, like, sink into our ankles and then let our knees bounce and our hips bounce so that we absorb as much impact as possible. If you do that, you ruin your triple jump. So your hop and your step, you want to land on your heels if you possibly can. You want to bounce off instantaneously and have as little contact with the ground as possible. Meanwhile, your upper body, right? It doesn't matter what your upper body does in the air. It only matters what happens when you're in contact with, with the ground. ground. So at the a moment that you hit the ground during that very then your very arms short have contact, to want to help. You want to swing, swing your arms up forward. Yeah. Whoa. Right? So you got Swing your arms forward to get your momentum forward as much as up as much as possible. You got to bounce up off of this locked uh, ankle or whatever it is, so that you don't 
uh, get a squish there. And then you do it again on the other foot. And then you got to swing again forward. And then you can land in such a way that you don't break the rest of your bones. <laughs> so, Charles, how much force goes through the leg that hits well, the, the yeah. runway? I mean, it must That's be a great outrageous. Question. Based on the calculations that I have seen uh, on sports medicine sort of studies, mm. when you make that hit, uh, you are putting somewhere between 15 and 20 times more force on your heel or on your ankle or on your knees than you normally would when you have your regular body weight landing on top of it or a regular step. Mm -hmm. So you are, you are really straining those joints and those muscles and those ligaments. It's the combination of the forward motion from having run fast to make that first jump and you yep. were airborne and now you come down on it and you have to right. spring back up to get your next jump. Yep. So yep. all of that combined, that's crazy. Brut brutally hard. I just don't know who invented body. the sport. It must be the English. I it must be the English. The, English. <laughs> the, English we, the we, world we, record holder is Jonathan yes, Edwards of Great Britain. Yes, he is. And, and, that, and that record has lasted for a quarter century now. Whoa. Even longer than Bob Beeman's world record in the long But he had a technique, Charles. I mean, when he would contact, his arms would go backwards. So uh -huh, that must uh -huh. be altering his center of mass, his center of gravity, or... Without doubt, right. A lot of people think that one key to being a successful triple jumper is actually to land with as much of your body weight behind your landing point as possible, which then allows you to swing that body forward, giving yourself an additional extra bit of momentum. It's more swing. You get jump. more swing That's for right. it, I see. That's I get right. it. All right. Yeah. You ain't got but I think if the triple jump was guess. never invented, no one would miss it. Okay, oh, I'm just thinking. Wrong. I love the triple <laughs> jump. It's the best, man. Uh, One more event before we close out this segment. The high jump. The high jump. I'm looking at these bars that these people are jumping over. I say, how do they even do this? What's going on? Let's go back to the 68 Olympics. Charles, take us there. Dick Fosbury, uh, following the rules, but through his own strategy, figured out that if he kept his center of mass below the bar, but was able to get the rest of his body over the bar piece by piece, then he would be able to jump higher based on the rules of the high jump Piece game. by piece. Yeah, you unscrew your leg, put it over. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, imagine a marionette doll. And that's what Dick Fosbury did. He jumped and he got his head over and then let his head go under while he got his torso over and then let his torso go under the bar while his legs went over and then he let his legs go under the bar while his feet went over and then eventually he flopped down backwards on his head and shoulders onto the mat what you're saying is for every part of his body that was over the bar all the rest of his body was under the bar that's right below that's the right. the elevation of the bar so that mm -hmm. his center of mass itself never actually went above the bar that's right not to mention that his technique allowed him to do this flowing thing, which gave him the ability to kind of snake over the bar in a way that no one had ever thought to do before, but was perfectly legal. Well, then why, so, not, why not land? Why land on your back then? How can you land on your feet? Squishy mat. No, not on your feet. <laughs> like yeah. it's a mat there. Why not the motion you described? Why not just arc all the way over and keep keep going? So you land on your face? Yeah. <laughs> yes, Chuck. Chuck. Yes. Chuck. 
<laughs> you know, if you could do that, I could see a roll that lands on your face. But, you know, even for a soft mat, I do not want to squish my nose on one of those yeah, yeah, things. No. Falling yeah, and given how far they're falling down, down, I think we we recognize everyone since Fosbury does this Fosbury flop over the bar. He changed the That's sport. Right. Absolutely. And, oh. Remember, it was Mexico City, 1968. Maybe the altitude. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, what are you going to do with, with that one, Gary? So, all right. So the sports forever have been changed, and I'm 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 impressed by that. My my father, when he ran track, they didn't have these big foam cushions, and you landed in sawdust on the other side. Ow. So well, now now, now, now I know, know why you don't land on your face. <laughs> <laughs> And just like in the last 30 seconds, uh, Charles, tell me about the, the pole vault. Well, uh, in principle, that could just keep getting higher and higher if people yes. run faster and faster and have a strong enough pole. And right. you have to run fast enough to, to get your body to be springable, right? Yep, yep. So there's a little bit of a jump on your part, but mostly it's the spring of the pole that allows you to get over. The thing is, these days with pole vault, right, the pole itself becomes the most important part of the equation. Uh, in the olden days, if you just used a stick, you were literally pushing off of the pole in order to get yourself over. Now you need to rely on the elasticity of the pole to spring you upward before you push off the pole. And now instead of pushing with your arm, you're really just trying to let the go and then get the rest of your body over. Wow. Almost sort of and so you don't, Osbury so you, you want to be sort of rigid armed so that you don't absorb that flex with your elbow when you, Correct. as you're going up, or at least you want to push with it so that you can, uh, now I can, I can picture the cartoon now. Someone does it with the new technology and they just get flung across the track. The pole itself now is a composite construction. So if you've yes. got carbon fiber that strengthens, that is on one side and the other side is not as strong. So you have to make sure you get the right, the pole in the right place. Otherwise- Oh, it's not a uniform no, medium? From what I, from oh what I can gather- that's the case. So you really have to be about, it's like a kick point in a hockey stick. So yeah, you've got yeah, that yeah, little yeah. bit of flexibility, Ooh. which you're giving you an oh. extra thing. So this is a technical uh, advantage for, for jumping in terms of vaulting rather than the, the pure jumping of a human being. And here I am saying it on Star Talk. I've said this before, but now on this platform, I will declare that in a high jump, the position of your body is fundamentally equivalent to what Fosbury did going over his high jump bar. Yet, the pole vaulters twist and then go feet first facing downward rather than facing upwards. And as a result, I think if they converted their jump into a Fosbury jump, you can add another six inches on the pole vault record in, a, in an instant. Uh, yes. Maybe. I, no, let me tell you why you might not be correct. And that is simply because the, the pole had, gives you so much more of a forward motion that if you spend your time flipping your body around, how are you going to push off the pole and give yourself a little verticality? Uh, you if can't, if it's backwards reversed? behind you. Yeah, okay. Right. Uh, you lose, that might be the thing that you... You lose do. the thing. Okay. There's, I bet there's yeah. something you could do, though. Let's bring Fosbury back and have him try to <laughs> <laughs> have him invent some new maneuver. we got to take a quick break on Star Talk Sports Edition, the Olympics. When we come back, we're going to talk about wrestling, freestyle versus Greco-Roman, something I used to do. 
So I might have something to say about it on Star Talk. eBay Motors is here for the ride. You saw the potential, and through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive entirely its own. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you can make sure your ride stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, exhaust kits, turbochargers, bumpers, whatever your baby needs ebay motors has it and with ebay guaranteed fit it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time every time or your money back plus at these prices you're burning rubber not cash keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com eligible items only exclusions apply reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest but let me play devil's advocate here let's see so no that's a good thing uh <laughs> That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates, national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. It's a pleasure to give a Patreon shout-out to Avnish Joshi. Thomas Harshbarger and Tori Istad. Guys, thanks so much for what you do for us. Without you, we couldn't make it across the cosmos and bring this show to the universe. And for those of you interested in your own Patreon shout-out, go to patreon.com slash startalkradio and support us. We're back, Star Talk Sports Edition. We're talking about the Olympics. And I love thinking, talking about sports and the physics of sports. And however good I am at that, Charles Liu is better. And that's why we've got Charles <laughs> Liu on the show. Charles, always good to have you. Oh, pleasure. Thank and you so much. Just thanks over all these years for being such a good friend of Star Talk. Because when it has been my pleasure. When the going gets tough, we call Charles. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it is my pleasure. Thank and you. I don't think you did any professional sports. We have Gary who gives us Not street cred here. No. Uh, street cred, Gary. I know. And we only, right. I, I only just learned in this episode the man threw the javelin and the discus. Yep. So go for Gary there. Mm-hmm. All right. And, 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 Chuck, so as many people know, I wrestled. I, uh, I wrestled in high school. I was captain of the team and undefeated. Wrestled in college, a little bit of graduate school. But when I got to college, uh, after an undefeated record in high school, it was like a whole other, whole nother nother, because I started wrestling people who would like these were like 
farm boys, okay, <laughs> from the Midwest. That's all. That there you go. That's it. I don't know what what they've been carrying with logs around the cabin. You know, whatever <laughs> is the stereotype of the farm boy. I, that's who I was wrestling. And so, and these and these are regions of the country that have where wrestling is very serious. They fill arenas, and so I was delighted to not be the best because when you're the best how, what is your how do you learn what do you do and so so I had a losing record for most of my time in college but that didn't matter it was my favorite sport then and it continues to be so and we, that was intercollegiate uh, wrestling obviously not professional wrestling okay <laughs> and uh, international rules are a little more strict than what we do just uh, intercollegiate here in the United States and in the Olympics there's freestyle and greco-roman so that's what that's what we have going on there. What is freestyle? Well, so uh, it's easier to know what freestyle is once I tell you what Greco-Roman is. So Greco-Roman wrestling is just your upper body. So you can't sweep the leg. No, you can't do that. <laughs> you can't. You can't use your leg for anything. It is just your upper body strength, your arms, you know, your uh, and 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 the rest. So you they you you have people who tend to be very good at body throws, all right. You try to get a grip of their upper torso and you're maneuvering for a position, and and ideally you'll execute a body throw where the throw includes getting their back to the mat, and then it's one smooth motion. And so those guys tend to have spindly legs and huge torsos. But uh, now, I, what, what is what is a passivity point in Greco-Roman? Oh, oh, yeah. So what happened? And I don't know when that came in, but what happened was that it, in both uh, a freestyle and in in Greco-Roman, they started putting in rules to speed up the game, okay, and to force you to always be attacking, and and because you used to sort of jockey for position and feel the person out, and minutes would go by and nothing would happen, all right? And so since Olympics still, they have to make money with their TV rights, I don't know if money did it or just the fan interest or whatever, but they started, it started costing you if you were not perceived by the referee as always trying to be an aggressor. And if you're always just being the, on the receiving end and not the delivering end, that can cost you on both sides, okay? And so, I mean, sorry, both branches of the sport. So that sped up the game. In fact, there's, and I forgot the exact conditions under which this is true, but if you are tied at the end in points, because you get points on a takedown, and, and if your back is exposed to the mat, there are various ways you, you earn points. If you're tied, they will start the next round with each of you already being granted a grip around the other person's torso. You, you already have a grip around them. This is like that new rule in baseball where in extra innings, they start the inning with a runner on second base. Okay? Every... Did you, did you know about this? This is a new rule. I'm looking at it. It's no. called the ghost runner. It's called yeah. the ghost runner. All right? Yeah. And so they start off the inning. Yeah, you get a free base runner on second base. And you know who that runner is? It's the person who made the last out in the previous inning, okay? So, so or, the, or the last at-bat person. So, so it's an attempt to speed the game up and, and to, to, to put more action in the sport. So, Neil, is there an ultimate okay. wrestling move? I mean, so if we're watching the Olympics and the wrestling comes on, we've got to be thinking do this, and then we can all shout at the TV and encourage him. Yeah, yeah. I would say... <laughs> now, you know, before you answer that question, yeah. before you answer that question, Neil, 
Uh, I recall you telling me some years ago about a move that you did in high school, which was essentially undefeatable. There was no defense against it. It was like the crane technique in the karate kid. So maybe that, <laughs> you want to bring that up. The, with cra- the karate kid crane. <laughs> yeah. I just remember you telling me this, this method where, where you were able to immobilize your opponents against which they had no defense. Oh, wow. Uh, I'm trying to remember what that might have been because I, I had a few moves where if I can get that grip, then that, that's the end. If, so the challenge is can you execute the grip before you then complete the move? Because the grip... Uh, immobilizes your opponent in such a way. Now you can do with them what you wish. And if you're if you're quick enough and you get them slightly off balance, you take them to the mat. And the takedown move is is included. The the pin is part of the takedown move. And so, but I, I can tell you this: people are very nimble and they're very strong and they're very. So you don't tend to see that. But here's a move where if you see it executed. Basically, the, the match is going to be over within five seconds, wow. okay? And it's called the cradle. Mm-hmm. I'd have to say, if I were voting, I'd, I'd be curious what fellow wrestlers, if they had a different vote on this uh, from what I'm telling you here. The cradle is where one of my arms wraps, you're facing me, mm-hmm. you're perpendicular to me on the mat. One of my arms is under your head, like I'm just cradling you, like you're cradling a baby, right? My other arm goes under the knee of either one of your legs. It doesn't matter. It, it won't matter. And so now you're, I bring that knee up to your chin and then lock my arms. Okay? So now, now I have you. I'm sorry. There's, what are you going to do? Where are you going to, what are you, where are you going to go? And once I have that, if I can get that in any way, I just have to roll back. Yeah. Roll back, and you, I'll roll your shoulder blades down to the mat, and then the, the referee's there watching it, and then I love this sound where they, they slam the... I'll do it on the table here. There it is. They slam, and that's, and that's it. And if you watch someone get into a cradle, the, generally they're not coming out of it, and that's the end of the match. Okay. So you, you, you just watch for that move. It's it's almost once once it's once you have the grip, it's you, you can't. It's kind of over. Now you can try to kick out of it. Yeah. Okay. You can try to kick. Um, so you bring one other foot to 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 scissor lock your two ankles and just try to kick out of it. But if I'm I, now consider just just to see what how 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 many muscles are involved in this. My entire chest. Okay, my deltoids, my biceps, all of my upper body strength is now has you enclosed in this cradle move. So it is one of the most effective invocations of muscle strength of any move there is. And and by the way, I haven't checked this year, but women's wrestling is rapidly growing in popularity in the United States. And, you know, this is such a sort of a male, masculine, testosterone thing that I was initially skeptical. I say, really, is this going to work? And then I watched some matches like, oh, my gosh, bring it on. Bring it on. And so it was was really, it was delighted to see it. Very important thing about wrestling. And now that it's, you know, uh, it's got... Uh, can I say this? Both genders, right? Yep. <laughs> it's got it, the full gender spectrum is represented. The the what's true also about wrestling is that 
it's you do it in different weight categories. All right. So no matter your weight, there's a category you can compete in. And it's not, well, I've never been tall enough to do this and I'm not strong enough to do that. In wrestling, you are matched up pound for pound. Yeah. And, and that and that actually is a point that leads perfectly to the question I have for you, Neil, about that. And that is how much weight makes a difference. In other words, the weight classes, if you're like at the bottom of a weight class compared to the top of oh, the no, weight you, class. Oh no, you you always be you always want the top of the weight class. You want the top yes. of the weight class yes. at all times, all right? Times. Like what is the difference? I mean, one of these days I'll tell you about uh, uh, the one time that I had glory on the wrestling mat back in high school. And but that's a different story. I, I was underweight the other guy by at least 25 pounds. That's a lot. And, and I still wiped the floor with him. Uh, but but the question be, uh, the question becomes... Wait, wait, does Charles, that's the first time matter? I've ever heard you use the phrase, I wiped the floor with him. This is like the last sentence I ever thought would ever come out of your mouth. <laughs> we're, we're obviously a bad influence on Charles. I didn't taunt the dude, but it's true. Um, but that's a story for another time. But my point is, like, at what... Like, how much does it matter? Can an excellent technique defeat a heavier opponent? It's not right likely. Uh, here's my point. Um, if you weigh less, you can defeat someone heavier than you if, there's, if they're not as good a wrestler. But if they're just as good as a wrestler as you, you will simply lose. Wow. And, and so, so here's my point. You generally, as you get bigger, you get slower. Okay, one advantage I had was I was I had very fast reflexes and have very long arms. So I would use moves that would exploit m those two facts, okay? Um, but I was always taller than my opponent, all right? And but we're exactly the same weight. Well, if we if we are the same weight and I'm taller and neither of us have body fat, my opponent is stronger than I am. That is, the, that is the definition of muscle strength, okay? The cross-sectional area of your muscle directly correlates with your strength. So if you are shorter, your muscles are bigger than mine because we weigh the same. I have to know that in advance to maneuver around their strong points to do things that might be quicker than they are or overreach or, or be able to reach farther than they can. So that's an important fact. So I would claim, Charles, that the person who's 25 pounds heavier than you was simply not as talented as you. Because if he, if he were, he'd be stronger than you in every way and have all of your moves and there'd be nothing you could do on him. Nice. That's all I'm saying. And if you want someone smaller to kick someone, they'll, they'll ex execute some different kind of rules that are not the rules that the heavier person is, is a participant in. So if you're good at like Taekwondo and you can, and you half the weight of the other person, you go kick him in the throat. Okay. Yeah. That's a David and Goliath scenario. Right. But I bet you if Goliath had a sling the way David had a sling, Goliath would have taken out David. Okay. So we're not talking about lightweight talent versus heavyweight, no talent here. We're talking about everybody with talent. Okay. So, so weight is the defining difference given equal talent. All right, guys, great to have you here. Charles, Lou, always great to have you on Star Talk. Thanks for being such a friend of the show. We got to call it quits there. This has been Star Talk, sports edition, the Olympics. I'm Neil deGrasse Tyson bidding you to keep looking up. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, 
No, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate, pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.